Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, the rapper Eminem had a song called Kings Never Die, inspired by the 2015 film Southpaw. It was a movie about a boxer who was trying to make a comeback after losing everything. His wife had been killed in an automobile accident. His kids had been taken away from him. Um, he had nothing left. And the song uh, ends with words, Here to stay even when I'm gone. When I close my eyes through the passage of time, kings never die. Now, don't go home and listen to it, okay? I listened to it for you. And when I saw a reference to the song, and believe me, I felt like I needed to take a shower afterwards. Some of the comments, though, on the, uh, the lyric video said that they, they thought it might as well be a reference to Eminem's own life in 2019. That even though he's disliked by a lot of people, he's already secured his legacy. He won an Academy Award for Best Original Song one year. And even when he dies, he'll live on through his music, which will be here forever. I get the sentiment, but he was dead wrong about one thing in his song. Kings do die. It just might not seem like it. Dead celebrities make a ton of money every year. Uh, Forbes magazine actually publishes a list. Its uh, latest is based on earnings from October 2018 to October 2019. Uh, singer Prince, who died of an overdose in 2016, is still moving music to the tune of $12 million last year. Marilyn Monroe, who died in 1962, just made $13 million from deals with Chanel, Mont Blanc, and Zales Jewelers. Dr. Seuss died in 1991 and still made $19 million from licensing deals with Hallmark, Universal, and a publishing empire that moved more than five million books last year in the United States alone. Golfer Arnold Palmer earned $30 million. Charles Schultz, Schultz earned $38 million. Elvis Presley, the, the dead king of rock and roll, made $39 million. The number one post-mortem cash crown, though, at $60 million, uh, belonged last year to the king of pop, Michael Jackson, with proceeds flowing from his music catalog, a Las Vegas show, imagine that, and long-term deal with Sony. Arguably, they were all kings or queens in their respective fields. But have you ever thought about what might have happened if they hadn't died? How much more might they have produced or created? Or what about people who didn't make the big cash list but made an important impact on the nation in other ways, or even the world? You know, what if Buddy Holly hadn't been killed in that plane crash when he was just 22 years old? How many more great songs might he have written? Or Robert F. Kennedy? or even his presidential brother, John? You know, what if they hadn't been assassinated? Arguably important players who came from what most people considered to be political royalty. What lasting changes might they have left behind as their legacy? Or Martin Luther King, or Abraham Lincoln? We'll never know, because they died. What about Jesus? You know, we celebrate this Sunday as Christ the King Sunday, the, the last Sunday of the church year. Luke tells us the story of Jesus' death on a cross, crucified under a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What if we could unwind his death? Would the world be a better place? First, let's talk about Israel's relationship with their kings. You know, back in the day, back when um, God's people first became his people, going all the way back to Abraham, they lived in what we would call today a theocracy. God was the commander-in-chief. And that worked okay for quite a while. 
But after they got established in the promised land and they took time to look at all the other nations around them who didn't, you know, know the one true God, they came to the conclusion that if all these pagan countries had kings, then they probably ought to have one too. It was a kind of a grass is always greener sort of thing. In spite of knowing how it was going to turn out, God let them have their king. Kind of like kids, right? You give them a little rope, and then a little more rope, and then before long you have to rescue them and reel them back in or, or bail them out. A little worse and more down from the experience maybe, but hopefully they'll figure it out that you're not all as dumb as they thought you were before. And so it was for God's people um, because their very first king, King Saul, was really just an ordinary person with ordinary weaknesses like you or I. He was a sinner, just like the rest of us. Eventually, he disobeyed God, and that began his whole string of kings, some of whom were pretty good, most of whom were probably not very good at all, many of whom were no less than evil in the way that they led their subjects away from the true God into idolatry. The holy, jealous God of the first commandment wasn't going to stand for that, and so he allowed them to suffer some pretty horrible consequences not limited to, but including disastrous military defeats and things that would result in, in their exile and even for a time, slavery. Even the best of them, King David, ancestor of the baby Jesus, fell into sin, but later repented and was restored by God. That, by the way, is a good thing to file away. He got a second chance. One always remember, our God is a God of second chances and third chances. But that's the way it's always gone with earthly kings. There were the good the bad and the ugly, but that's the way people seem to want it. Of course, good king or bad king, the reason there was a whole string of kings at all was because they died. They came, they built their legacies, whether good or bad, and then they died and faded away into history. Given the people's preference for kings and his unconditional love for his people, for us, God eventually gave the world a king who was above all kings, the Lord above all lords, Jesus Christ the king. But in the long tradition of kings who looked and acted like royalty, nobody would have ever guessed. In fact, um, when we read about him, we learn that Jesus didn't act very much like an earthly king at all. Just before our gospel lesson finds this king of glory nailed to a cross this morning, two very different kings had faced off. There was Pontius Pilate, who was technically the governor, but ruled with the authority of a king. Uh, and Jesus, who calmly stated that he was indeed a king. And that's what had first earned him his audience in chains. But he goes on to explain that his kingdom was not of this world. The Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead all along thought they had Pilate right where they wanted him. And they, they did, and they knew it. And it's in the midst of this, this tension that Jesus found himself standing before the local ruler. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Is that your idea, or did someone tell you about me, Jesus replied. Am I a Jew? Your own people brought you here. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. You are a king, then, Pilate said. You say that I'm a king, and you're right. I was born for that purpose. And I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people, and he told them he's not guilty of any crime. Pilate, who served at the whim of the emperor in Rome, was impressed with Jesus despite his outward appearances, but he allowed himself to be intimidated by the Jewish church leaders, ultimately acting as if he was the one on trial, and, uh, and if he wanted to keep his job, I guess he sort of was. 
Pilate hoped that Jesus would somehow implicate himself in the charges brought against him, and Jesus wouldn't do it. He did admit to being a king, which is really all Pilate needed to hear in order to condemn him for treason. But on the other hand, he added that his kingdom was not of this world, so he was, uh, Pilate really couldn't in good conscience condemn him to death. He was no threat to Caesar if his kingdom was, was not of this world, you know, whatever, wherever that world might be. In the end, though, he handed over to Jesus, handed over Jesus to be crucified uh, in spite of what he knew to be trumped-up charges, simply in order to make a show of his loyalty to Caesar. His only concession to Jesus' kingship was that sign he'd ordered uh, nailed to the Lord's cross above his head that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's interesting that the only one who would really recognize Jesus as king of all kings that day would be the thief on the cross next to him, who asked to be remembered when Jesus came into his kingdom. And for that alone, Jesus promised he would be with him in paradise. Given the shame of crucifixion, the disciples never could really figure out how the Messiah would end up ever being rejected and then executed. But this thief, an outcast, he does get it. He understands precisely because uh, Jesus is on the cross that he is the Messiah. And that's why the, the reference and the request to Jesus' kingdom, the one not of this world. It wasn't the disciples who, didn't, who, who, who got it, though, and it wasn't Jesus' family who got it. It was the criminal, this one criminal, an outsider, really, who got it and gave witness to who Jesus was when everybody else had deserted or double-crossed or denied him and then, for the most part, went into hiding. What Pilate might have sensed is that, but didn't act on, and what people miss today before the Spirit works faith in their hearts, is that he was standing on the brink of that other world already. The alternative kingdom Jesus was talking about, the other kingdom, was right in front of him. Now, his face-off is really a stark picture of a kingdom ruled by the power of the sword in opposition to one ruled by the power of love, of a kingdom driven to accumulate wealth, which is never going to be enough, over against one that announces Blessed are the poor. One which can never seem to have enough of just about anything. The other which loves to give away everything to those in need. One believes that the weak must serve the strong. The other believes that the strong will always be there to serve the weak. Where the last shall be first and the first last. One kingdom that demands we give what we deserve. The other founded on giving people what they absolutely don't deserve. That mercy and forgiveness, not payback and revenge is what really matters, at least in that world. That one is Jesus' kingdom. The one that gives freely, that adopts people as, as children of the king because the king has already fulfilled the, our obligations for us when he lived as one of us, suffered and died for us, and rose from the dead to prove his kingship even over death itself. No earthly king can make the promise Jesus made to the believing thief on the cross, not one, because no earthly king can offer forgiveness and eternal life. But Jesus, the king, is both human and divine, true God and true man. And so his words give us the assurance that we will be with him in paradise one, time, one day as well. Now, the struggles of this world will be over and will be forgiven and made whole, eternally united by faith with God and with each other. Now, each of us is going to come to the end of our lives with some feelings of guilt and regret. Uh, it happens. Satan brings it up to mind, whatever it might be. Um, and we have done some evil things that we probably shouldn't have done. And we'll have failed to do some of the good things that we should have done, but didn't. 
And even if we haven't done anything that you might call outright evil, we will certainly have done some things that, that were outright and maybe even spectacularly stupid that we regret. We've all made some bad choices and some justifiably regrettable mistakes. Some of us will even feel as guilty as the criminal on the cross who said to his fellow lawbreaker, we have indeed been condemned justly for we're receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. But if we die in Christ, that is trusting in Jesus, okay, then that trust will be rewarded by Jesus saying, today you will be with me in paradise. You won't be able to change your past. You won't be able to atone for it. It'll be too late for that. All you can do is exactly what the thief on the cross did. Put your trust and your faith in the Son of God and know that he won't let you down. He's already got all that covered for you. You'll be relying, you'll be relying completely on God's grace. And lucky for us, lucky for you and for me, that'll be enough. When Jesus returns one day to call the whole world to account and gather his own to himself, the Bible says there are going to be people who will cringe in mortal fear and terror and say to the mountains, fall on us until the hills cover us. He isn't going to go to Los Angeles first and then San Francisco and then New York and Paris and the next day to Moscow and London and Rome either. He's going to come on the clouds with a whole host of heaven and the whole world will see him all at once. And they'll know that everything written about him in the Bible is true, including his kingship and his Easter resurrection. And they'll know in that moment that it's too late to repent, but they'll believe. For those who are already part of his kingdom when that day comes, who have rejected his, his, his offer of not, who have not rejected his offer of, you're part of his kingdom when he comes, they haven't rejected his offer to all people of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Um, it'll be a glorious day because it'll be the, the, the day of fulfillment of all things. They'll know that the, 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 the suffering and the pain and the, and the struggling of, of living in a, in a fallen Sin, sick, sin-filled world has finally come to an end. And that goodness and love and mercy will reign forever. You know, in just a, a, about a month now, I guess, we'll be singing, Noel, Noel, born is the King of Israel. This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It won't look much like a king lying there in the manger. But never forget, he's the same king who could return any day now. This time not to save, but to set things right. He did his suffering, his dying for us, and his rescuing a long time ago. And he still loves us all just as powerfully and unconditionally as he did then. But today, he reigns over all. Christ the king of your heart is really just the start. Sometimes knowing how the story ends, I think, will give you a whole new insight. Maybe even a greater appreciation for how it all began and why. And for some of you, you know, maybe it begins right here, today. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding of your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.